we all face challenges in our lives and grow from overcoming them. But some individuals seek out the most pressing issues to our societal development and aim to challenge the underlying systems. In this series, we speak to some of these challenges to understand the motivation behind these ambitious missions, get insights from the grueling processes and prospects for the future they're aiming to help create. Created in collaboration with Dockers, providing smarter, more comfortable and more versatile clothing for every occasion, they believe that progress is woven into everything we do. From how we make our clothing to how we care for the people and the planet. And so do we. Enjoy this series. Yeah, so my name is John Rose. I'm the founder of an international aid organization called Waves for Water. Uh, we're a US-based organization, but we work, we work globally. We have programs in over 40 countries. Um, and I personally live in um, a place called Truckee, which is right by Lake Tahoe in California. Um, and before I started my organization, I was a professional surfer um, on the tour for many years. And so, yeah, that, that's just a little snapshot of my journey. Yeah, and it's a really uh, action-packed and interesting journey. Could you tell us a little bit about how you get, got started with the mission you're on today? Yeah, you know, it was really a twist of fate. Um, I, I grew up in a small sort of beach town in Southern California and just started surfing because that's just what you, you just do the, the beach sports, right? More so than regular sports. And um, <clears throat> you have this amazing resource at your fingertips, the ocean. So I fell in love with that. And I just, I was so focused and so dedicated in that and just wanting that to be my, my path, my career, my whole life. And, and I achieved it and, and it became this, um, my first sort of and only career as an adult that was that I turned pro uh, out of high school around 17 and went on for about a 13 year career and <clears throat> any athlete uh, especially professional athlete that where where their their passion for their sport becomes their job yeah hit, they hit a day <laughs> and when the sobering reality comes that they're it's they've, they've passed that peak they, you know, you're, you're, you're going up and up and up, and then there is a peak at some point, And then you're going, you're going down the other side. It doesn't mean you've fallen off completely or whatever, but you can just tell, I mean, the gravity is what it is. And that was fine. Um, I felt good about the career that I had and I felt, but I had never thought about what I was going to do. Otherwise I'd okay. never ever thought about another career. I'd never, I just put all of my effort and emphasis on surfing. And as the contract started getting less and less and in some cases disappearing and just all the kids that are coming up are way better than you. And you, mm. you just hit this very sobering point where you go, Whoa, I didn't plan that well. I, I didn't, what do I do oh, yeah. now? I was, it, it was definitely a low point, but I was, I was, um, I guess you could say just a little lost more yeah. than anything, you know, trying still wrapped in, in this identity of John Rose, the pro surfer. Um, who am I without that? You know, all these questions, um, <clears throat> at the same time, just, just about 30 years old. So a, a lot of life ahead of me. And, um, I had, 
I had the idea for this, or, this organization, not a global organization, not a full-time job, not any of that, just a pet project idea where I would be able to go back to Indonesia twice a year to surf (laughs) and genuinely help. So I felt like, okay, whatever my next career is going to be, it will be, it would be so great to have this, um, genuine platform to help the places that I love and use it as an excuse and a vehicle to be able to just stay connected with that place throughout the years. And so I really was compelled around Indonesia as one of my favorite places. And I, and I'd seen the need with my own eyes. And so, and, and, and ultimately chose water because uh, my dad was doing a little work in that space, but more than anything, it just seemed like a solvable problem to a non-expert like me. Oh yeah. You know, I wasn't trying to, to create a cure for cancer. It's, that's very complex. Yeah. This was like, okay, I'm, I'm not even very schooled in this area, but I can get it. I I, I think I can grasp that there's technology that exists. It's more of a question of access, not a question of technology. Yes. And so had the idea, the simple idea of like, okay, we'll, we'll provide that access myself, my friends, and this little idea called waves for water will be this vehicle to be able to bring the solutions that exist to the problem and connect it sort of as a bridge. And, um, I, I set out on my very first, uh, trip for waves for water, which was a, a trip to Indonesia. I bought 10 filters with my own money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had plans to go to a little Island, um, that I'd been to before at the end of the trip we were on, um, teach the locals how to use the filters, call it waves for water, call it a day. Yeah. And before I was able to get to that village, um, I was actually caught in a 7.3 earthquake. Wow. Um, and it, it was just, like I said, in the beginning is twist of fate in that way. You know, I, you could, you could look at it two ways. You could say, wow, what a coincidence or, or wow, by accident you were there or, Maybe it was fully on purpose. Mm, yes. Yes. It depends on, on how you look at things and your own connection with uh, spirituality, I guess, and, and the bigger I picture. Find, I find serendipity to be a very interesting term that I use a lot in speaking about uh, entrepreneurship and opportunities. Uh, do you yeah, I think that's a perfect word. I mean, yeah. and so serendipitously, I was there. Um, I ended up having this first responder opportunity because I was right in, in ground zero basically of this city called Padang and it just common sense mode kicked in. And I, and I felt like, well, the people here probably need these filters more than the other Island that I was going to go to. So, um, I just stayed and and essentially was the first responder by, uh, serendipitously, I guess. Yeah. Well, so you started solving the problem with a very current and, and pressing need right there. And then this developed into the organization, would you say? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think whether it was you or anybody we meet on the street or anybody you meet anywhere, if you put them into a situation where they're faced with that level of death and destruction, just regardless if they have tools like I had to help just being there and experiencing that yeah. there's no way it doesn't impact your life. Yeah. There's no way you go through that and come out the other side the same. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're going to go start an organization, but you would definitely have an imprint. And for me <clears throat> that coupled with 
with actually having this idea before that and having these tools in my hands to really make a difference. You know, those 10 filters I bought, they were $20 filters each. Um, so it cost me about a hundred dollars and yeah. they helped thousands of people. That's amazing. And it was just, so that just rocked my world. And it, it's yeah. also because it was the crossroads of my life and all of these other things that were a combination, um, co like combining factors basically that, that when I came out of it, lifted my head up from that experience, I was a completely different person and I was so laser focused and clear. And just, I mean, I said, Oh, well, this isn't a pet project. This is my life. This is my path. This yes. is my calling. I'm going to pursue this full time. Wow. And speaking of you spoke about your first career and how that developed, finding a new path and speaking about the laser focus and problem solving, I would define all of these traits uh, within the category of an entrepreneur. How do you relate to the term entrepreneur? Um, I, I really like I mean, I like the word, but I really like what it means to me because a lot of times I feel like that word gets really put into the box of business, Yes, which is fine and it's true and it's accurate. But for me, an entrepreneur just means somebody who likes getting after it. Yes. You know, it's like somebody who has ambition. Yes. So ambition um, somebody who's willing to take risks. Yes. I mean, you have to have ambition and take risks if you're going to be an entrepreneur. So period. But I feel like it's more of like an energy than it is, um, just a label. I can totally agree and relate to that. And I've, I've learned about, so there's always these uh, new terms coming. So impact entrepreneur is something that we're familiar with, which I would also label you as. And systems entrepreneur is a new one where you're trying to change existing systems and structures within society. And I think and hope we can encourage more of that. And it's a tough journey and having that mission in focus, I want to ask you, what is your biggest challenge today with this organization? So, so you have grown to a global scale and what challenges are you facing today in continuing, continuing this impact? Yeah. You know, I mean, honestly, you kind of touched on it. It's systems are the biggest yeah. challenge. Yeah. So the existing systems, the existing structures are in, in a lot of cases antiquated. Yes. Um, so my organization by design is very unique and very different than a lot of other NGOs out there. Um, for example, I, we, we definitely welcome and, and, uh, work with donations, yeah. um, but we're, but our programs aren't hinged on some fundraising goal we may or may not meet. Um, we're really set up more like contractors. So mm -hmm. we provide a service, like we provide access to clean water on a big scale for a community or for, um, a region and somebody pays for it. And we are the implementers. We are. So, so that's, that's sort of the way we work. And that's the way I designed it because I didn't want to, um, after, living in Haiti for two years and seeing a lot of aid projects where they do like a fundraiser, they get half the funding for this big project they want to do and they'd start work yeah. and then they go do their second fundraiser and they wouldn't meet their goal. Yes. And, and the whole project dies on the vine. Yes. And I've seen skeleton communities because of that. And 
So I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. Why don't we just say, hey, this is a, this is a uh, supreme need, basically. This, you know, this, this is a human right that we're providing. And somebody has interest in this area enough to provide that because A, it's the right thing to do. And probably B, because they have some other agenda as well like whether that's a corporation or that's a government or, or an individual or whatever that just has a connection to that place and says, well, the, the main infrastructure that's here isn't, isn't fulfilling all those needs. It's not up to par. So I'm willing to step in and do this. So we work with the UN, we work with the United, the U S military, we work with dockers, we work with, you know, corporate partners, other, other larger NGOs that want to subcontract us out for our program. So that's how I designed the, the organization. And I guess to, to go back to your question, we, we're still categorized as a 501c3 nonprofit organization and global NGO type organization, which is fine, yeah. but we're kind of changing that, that model a little bit. Yes, and innovating within that. System. Exactly. Almost like you said, like systems entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so you can run it whenever you're doing that, you're going to run into some roadblocks because you don't fit in the existing box yes. and the existing, the existing structure. So that's been the biggest challenge is what, having to navigate some of the bureaucracy of these antiquated systems. That's uh, <clears throat> very inspiring in understanding that you can take the, the main mission of just doing good and instead of just fitting into the way it's been done historically, just thinking what is the best way to do this? And then going into the fight of trying to uh, pursue that, that path. And create an, and ultimately create a new model, a new path, yes. a new, new option. So I'm not saying you have to get rid of the old. I'm just saying, let's, let's look at more efficient ways. Yeah. And if I'm listening to this as an individual, uh, I, I'm not a big organization, but I want to support. You mentioned that you do take um, um, financing from private individuals as well. What is the best way, is my question, I could help? Could I join you, yeah. for example? Absolutely. Um, and, and so I, I want to be clear. We don't only operate the way I described before. So that's how we do our big scale stuff. So. Yeah. As a, as a global organization, we, we want to go out there and take big chunks out of the problem. Yes. Then we'll partner on a big scale with somebody who's got a big budget. And that's how that works yes. in parallel sort of side by side is the more grassroots guerrilla movement of waves for water, which is, um, individuals getting involved through our courier program. So yeah. the courier program is our version of a volunteer program where we sort of said, Hey, why don't we piggyback travelers that are already going places? Oh yeah. And so we created a crowdfunding platform on the website. There's two, there's two ways individuals can get involved. Either you're, you are a very adventurous sort of, um, outgoing person that likes to travel to, um, all types of countries in some cases still developing countries. And you feel like you could be a good, um, hands-on person in the field then you would sign up for the courier program, which means you would, you would create a fundraising page. You'd say, hi, I'm John. I'm going to Nicaragua on a surf trip. And mm -hmm. these are my dates. This is why I'm going. My filter goal is five filters. Then you crowdfund for those filters. Then we train you 
the organization trains you and sets you on your way, a very DIY guerrilla approach where Mm -hmm. we're saying, hey, look, you get to craft your own experience and we're going to just give you the tools to be able to help along the way. The other is maybe you're not at that point in your life. Maybe you were that type of person, but you're not at that point in your life and you really got your roots down and you've got a full-time job and you're at home, but you still want to help us as an individual. You can go on and create a, a custom fundraiser to support waves for water projects around the world. So you could go through all the list of the, the waves for water projects, like the Amazon project in the, in Ecuador or the Philippines volcano response we're, we're doing, and you can go through and go, God, that one really resonates. Or I have a good friend who's Filipino, or I just really like that one. But instead of just donating $20 um, to the organization, you can create your own fundraiser and crowdfund for the Philippines project. So you know, you get to label it. You then send that out through your social network. It's basic, um, basic crowdfunding and stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, just more customized ways for people to, um, ultimately personalize their contribution and their help. I think that's brilliant. Really tapping into the whole community aspect and, and me encouraging my close friends to want to contribute. And, you're really getting at this bottom up and top down approach. What yeah. is your sort of feeling uh, um, related to the two approaches? Do you think it's either or, or the combination of both and which one do you find most effective? Well, I think, I think from this side of the lens, so from, from my community and I, ultimately, I guess, let's just say we're us based. So, to our US audience or our audience that is sort of on this side from the developed world. Yeah. um, It's really 360, the approach. It's Mm. it's full spectrum. You wanna cover top down, side side, right? But from the other side of the lens for the, the communities that we work in and the way that we implement our program, we um, really take a bottom, bottom approach up. Yes. So you, you go in really ground level under the radar around the red tape and you, you connect with the right local advocates in a community and you start working as opposed to, you know, that saying it's easier to uh, ask for forgiveness than permission. Yes. Yes. So it's kind of like to avoid the bureaucracy. And if let's say you go top down and and all of a sudden a local politician who potentially might even be corrupt is now using your, you're asking for approval to do the work in this, in this certain village or this certain territory. And they see this as a power grab and Mm. they can use it as use it for political gain. I'm not saying that that happens every time, but I have seen that. And so there is a very clear cut and distinct approach when we're implementing. If we're talking about outreach and community, then I think it's 360. Always. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm just thinking like, what could the harm be if you go and do the impact directly and then they uh, would want to be involved rather than if you go to them and they take, there is some risk there with uh, not having the same impact. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you've essentially given the power to the people. Yes. And yes. when you do that, when you do that, um, the, the authorities have no choice, but to get in, to, to get behind it. 
because it would be it would be suicide for political suicide for them not to. And so you've really flipped that script. And I think that that's a really uh, it's not a new approach. I didn't invent that approach, but I think it's incredibly useful and valuable and one to promote. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking about this journey you've been on, learning on the job, more or less, um, I would like to understand a little bit about like key learnings from your journey and maybe frame it in a way where the question is, what would be your key advice to a young uh, future challenger or current ch challenger? Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> I haven't never had any real formal training of anything. Um, I mean, at least in the space that I'm in now, yeah. um, I, I had real life, real time training, you know, in very extreme environments. And there's no, I mean, the rule of 10,000 hours is real. So there's no shortcut. Um, you, if you put in the time, you will become good at something like yes. that. That's, that's, that's a given. It doesn't matter. Some people are better than others. They have They have a uh, natural talents and you know all that kind of stuff. But if you just take all that away as a baseline example, if there's no there's no way around time. So like if you just put in the time, you will achieve greatness, in my opinion. But on top of that, one of the main things I think that I've used uh, as a barometer for almost all of my decision making, and I still do, is <clears throat> this notion of being crazy. Oh yeah. Uh, and being crazy is good. Yeah. Um, not crazy, like crazy person, <laughs> but, um, sort of like another word for risk. Mm. Almost over ambitious over like taking the base level and aiming above. Would you say? Well, yeah. And I'll, I'll give you an example. So like, you know, a lot of times throughout my young adulthood, when I had, when I was very testosterone filled and just wanting to charge on all levels. Um, I remember doing things like I'm going to ride a motorcycle down Baja. And, and people are like, you haven't, have you ever even ridden a motor, rode a motorcycle? And I said, no, but I, but I'll learn. And they're like, you're crazy. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And so I remember hearing, that's just one example, but I remember hearing that a lot with certain ideas I had. Yeah. So, yeah. and you start hearing like, that's crazy. That's crazy. Then all of a sudden you realize that all of you're able to look back and tie all of your most formative experiences to the ones people said were crazy. Yes. So then if you take it a step further and you have a little more awareness around it and a little more maturity, you realize that if somebody, if you tell somebody about an idea and they say, they don't say that it sounds crazy, then you got to go back to the drawing board. Mm, yes. I can relate so to my, that a lot. Yes. My advice would be to stay crazy, you know? Stay in that frequency, stay in that bold frequency where people are looking at you going like shaking their head. Then you know you're on the right track. Yes. <clears throat> That's very good advice. And I think we can create a lot of driven and um, aspirational individuals from uh, quotes like that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> John, thank you very much for this conversation. It was great learning about your journey and your mission. And I'm looking forward to uh, following your journey moving forward. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was on. It was great.